Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Into the Burrow podcast here on the Burrow Reviews Network. My name is Jared, and today we are going to be doing a new type of episode. So, I want to title this episode, or rather title these episodes that will come in the future as newsflash episodes. These are episodes where it'll just be me or someone else alone, um, just kind of breaking down the news for you, kind of what happened the past week. We're still going to cover trailers, we're still going to cover what's new to streaming, but they're just going to be a little bit uh, shorter. They're going to be bite-sized episodes for you to consume rather than our full-length discussions, which will be saved for when there are two people on the show. Um, I'm really excited about Newsflash episodes. I think they're great, and they're an easy way to make sure that we're still getting content out to you. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to update you on that. Uh, let me go ahead and tell you real quick what we got for this episode, though. Um, we've got some opening numbers for Spiral's opening weekend at the box office. We have some news, rather some casting news about Knives Out 2 that I want to kind of get into. We have everything that's going on with the HFPA and the Golden Globes and NBC. So we're going to cover all of that mess later on in the episode. And then we're also going to talk about Roku v. Google which I think is one of the more interesting stories from the past couple of weeks. Um, It's been going on for quite some time now, but we just haven't had time to cover it with everything else that was going on. So now we get the chance to dive into it and kind of discuss it a little bit more than we had before. With all that being said... I do want to share a quick story about something that happened at work. Um, So we're no longer, uh, we're no longer doing the podcast like we did before. And what I mean by that is um, mainly just my setup for video is not going to be the same. We moved everything around to the office because I am no longer working for, for where I was working before. So we don't require as much office space and therefore we were able to kind of move everything around since we're both not working from home anymore. So that was nice. But at my new job, which is also my old job, so I'm back at a movie theater, um, managing and I love it to death. Um, I actually have the time to do it now, which is really exciting for me because I think the main pitfall that I had before when I was working for this company was that I just couldn't, um, find time to do my schoolwork. And now that my, you know, availability is open a little bit more, I'm able to do a little bit more there. So it's, um, kind of fun and just seeing, you know, how, how the world reopens after the COVID-19 pandemic being on the front lines of one of the leading industries that took a major hit during the pandemic, I think is going to be interesting as well. But anyway, I was at work and I was kind of explaining to people, it was a Friday night, and I was explaining how Friday nights usually are this um, transcendent, like chaotic kind of nights where um, anything and everything will and can happen. And so I was explaining that to a couple of the coworkers, and then lo and behold, before you know it, a couple hours later, there is a freezer that um, has caught on fire. Uh, and so we're having to move everything around, and we're having to call people in and come extinguish this fire. And uh, I was just kind of telling everyone, I think I might have jinxed that for us. But anyway, we tried to move the freezer that was on fire um, because it didn't it didn't ever slow down at all until we got it outside. And it was kind of a cooler night too. But we uh, we get the fire, we round it up, we pull it out, we unplug it, we shut off the breakers, do all that, have a fire extinguisher on hand, and we're trying to roll it 
out of the building and down the hallway, and we are having a hell of a time trying to do this. So they're not able to get it through the door. Um, so we have to take it all the way around the building, which means we have to go through the main lobby with this this freezer that is on fire and we have to take this whole thing and we have to kind of roll it out. And there were of course um, some shows that were getting out at that time. And so customers are just seeing all of this happen. And, um, and, and it was a decent amount of smoke too. Like I'm surprised that nothing went off. Um, Our fire system didn't go off at all or anything. So I was very fortunate for that because that would have caused a lot of damage, a lot of panic, and you know, um, I, it would have been an even worse night. Um, not that it was a bad night; it was just kind of stressful um, because we did have kind of a decent amount of people coming in for Demon Slayer at the time. So, um, I just kind of wanted to share that little story because I thought it was funny. And um, we did get the fire out; we figured out what was wrong with it, um, and. Yeah, and then we had to spend the rest of the night basically cleaning up and moving everything that was in the freezer um, over to a couple of other freezers and trying to cram and find space for all the stuff that we had. Um, Definitely interesting, I would say, among the top most interesting things that have happened there. Um, But, you know, of course, I have a billion and one stories from (laughs) the last time I worked there, so I'm sure there'll be more to come. So I kind of want to make that um, part of the intro a little bit, just talking about my experience working at the movie theater, because a lot of people might assume that it's, that it's cakewalk, um, and that it's not as difficult and challenging. But once you hear some of the stories that we have to actually encounter at a movie theater, I think your eyes will open up a little bit more. So I do want to make that going forward. Oh, if not a weekly tradition, definitely whenever something like this happens, I, I want to bring it up here at the very beginning of the podcast because I would be curious to know what Linda thought of it. But um, yeah, with all that down and out of the way, why don't we get into a little bit of the news coverage? So I'll um, make sure to give you your usual news bit, kind of explain what's going on, and then we'll get into the news discussion where I actually break down what's kind of going on and give you a little bit more details about everything. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. And Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your first recording. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. We use Buzzsprout and can attest that it is a cakewalk compared to some of the other hosting platforms that we've used. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. So what are you waiting for? Grab your gear that you already have, and then find a quiet space to record and talk about all your favorite things. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support our show. We can't wait to hear your passion. And now for your last week's news update. Jennifer Zahn of Vulture writes, NBC won't air the Golden Globes in 2022. 
The broadcast cancellation comes after the HFPA board passed a plan for inclusion and reform on May 6th that was met with a wide wave of criticism. Both Netflix and Amazon Studios responded by announcing they would not be working with the HFPA until a more meaningful change was made, with Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos telling Deadline that the new policies did not tackle, quote, systematic diversity and inclusion challenges, or the lack of a clear standards. Earlier this month, Scarlett Johansson slammed the organization for asking sexist questions that bordered on sexual harassment, while her Marvel co-star Mark Ruffalo said he was not, quote, proud or happy to have received Golden Globes. According to Deadline, Tom Cruise sent his three Golden Globe trophies back to the HFPA headquarters just this past week. Jeremy Fuster of The Wrap writes, Spiral carves up $8.7 million opening weekend at box office. Lionsgate Spiral is off to a decent start at the box office, with industry estimates reporting an $8.7 million opening weekend from 2,811 screens, roughly. That result will give the Saw spinoff the lowest opening in the history of the gory horror franchise, falling below the previous low of $14.1 million earned in 2009 by Saw 6, the only film in the franchise not to gross over $100 million worldwide. However, this was to be expected, as Spiral has opened to roughly 200 fewer theaters than Saw 6, and is still facing a market where 35% of theaters in the US and Canada are still closed, in addition to the limited seating capacity. Reception for the film, as has been the case with all Saw films, has been tepid, with a 39% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a B- on CinemaScore. Justin Kroll of Deadline writes, Knives Out 2. Katherine Hahn joins latest addition to all-star cast in sequel to Ryan Johnson's hit murder mystery. Sources tell Deadline that Han is set to join Daniel Craig in the next installment, which Netflix recently landed the rights to. Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, and Edward Norton were also recently added to the cast. Plot details are unknown at this time other than that Craig is returning to solve another mystery revolving a large cast of suspects. Production is set to start this summer in Greece. Katie Canales of Insider writes, Roku called Google, quote, an unchecked monopolist after the company added YouTube TV to its main YouTube app on the streaming platform's channel store. The comment was made after Google announced that it would allow users to access the YouTube TV app through its main YouTube app on Roku's streaming platform, a move that Roku called anti-competitive. Google's actions are the clear conduct of an unchecked monopolist bent on crushing fair competition and harming consumer choice, Roku said in a statement. On April 30th, Roku removed the YouTube TV app from its streaming platform because its deal with Google ended due to terms that Roku did not agree with. Those terms included what Roku says was a request from Google to share more sensitive customer data. Roku said it did not ask Google for more money as part of what would have been a renewed contract. It also told Insider last week that it wanted Google to stop manipulating customer search results, among other asks. Google told Insider last week that Roku's characterization of the company was baseless and false and said that Roku tried to renegotiate a separate deal encompassing the YouTube main app, which does not expire until December. 
As Insider's Ben Gilbert notes, Roku has been in similar standoffs with other major entertainment apps in the past. It took Roku and HBO Max months to negotiate terms that would allow users to access the app on the service. And that concludes your last week's news update. If you would like to support The Borough Reviews or the Into the Borough podcast, please consider subscribing to our Patreon campaign. Our Patreon offers four distinct memberships. Candyman, a $1 a month tier to show your general support for what we do. It follows a $2 a month tier that will grant you early access to our videos before they release on YouTube. Hereditary, a $5 a month tier with exclusive podcast discussions and member-only polls so you control what content we focus on each month. And finally, Trick or Treat, a $10 a month tier where you'll get exclusive videos, behind-the-scene content, and all of the other tier perks combined. During these times, it is crucial for us to remain stable, and with your help, we can get there. Head over to patreon.com slash Reviews to sign up. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. All right, there you have it, folks. Uh, first, I want to start with the HFPA and NBC issues that are occurring currently. So the HFPA, for those of you who don't know, is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. It is the voting block, basically, that produces the Golden Globes from year to year. Um, they are a voting um, group that or organization that consists of 80-so members um, all of which are foreign press um, who live in the LA Hollywood area. So they're, it's really um, it's really kind of confusing for most people to think of it that way. So they're a voting block that lives in LA, but are foreign press, uh, meaning they cover you know Hollywood news for different outlets around the world. And honestly, like I. I really do appreciate that we have kind of this organization that um, accounts for a lot of the of the Hollywood news, a lot of kind of the image of Hollywood for other places in the world, because it's really important to note that the movie making industry is centered in Hollywood. It's centered right here in the United States. And so for us to be able to give you know, foreign press access to those things is really important, um, considering how big of a global, um, how big of a global like enterprise, you know, Hollywood actually is. And not many people think of it like that. So it's really important to, to note that first before going forward. Um, so back in March, it was revealed that the HFPA or the Hollywood Foreign Press Association didn't have a single black member for nearly two decades. Um, NBC basically encouraged the Golden Globes or the HFPA to make necessary changes. And then um, the broadcast cancellation of the Golden Globes in 2022 uh, was something that NBC kind of went to very quickly um, after more and more bad press was coming out about the HFPA. So when we talk about the Academy, the Academy right now, let me look at this because I want to make sure I give you um, the correct information. Uh, I want to know how many Academy members there are in total. So, um, there are, you know, and by the way, the Academy is made up of actors, you know, directors, producers, basically all of the different departments that go into making a film. 
is what the academy is made up of, but there are thousands of members in the academy. Yeah, membership in 2020 for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Um, and those are the people that put on the Oscars, for instance. The membership in 2020 was 9,921 people. Um, so it's a much larger voting block than the HFPA. And a lot of the controversies surrounding the HFPA was in the sense that, yes, they are really struggling in the diversity and inclusivity of their members. Um, and there are only, you know, 80, 80 some of them. And then in, in the sense that, you know, the Academy is a much larger voting block. Um, they're also more diverse infinitely. And, um, so a lot of people are pointing to the fact that the HFPA is a corrupt body because mainly how they would go about things, um, they would nominate certain certain features based on, you know, company lobbyists and, you know, all of these special interests in Hollywood would come to them and lobby, you know, like, I don't know, maybe like 30 members, 40 members at a time. And uh, that's, you know, a substantial portion of the voting block of the HFPA. So when you have lobbyists like influencing that many members of the HFPA and then, um, you know, going to vote on these films and potentially nominating something based on that lobby um, just to kind of ruse up the, the PR and the kind of marketing of the Golden Globes to get more and more money, um, there's a big problem there. And, uh, you know, if the same thing happened with the Academy of Motion Pictures, um, you know, let's say like, I don't know, like universal lobbyists, you know, went to some of the Academy members, 30 or 40 of them and tried to lobby them and persuade them in a certain way about um, nominations. Well, that's 30 or 40 people of nearly 10,000. So like big deal, you know, um, you're lobbying not even a huge percentage of the voting block. So it's not that big of an issue. But when you're talking about a much smaller voting body, it becomes even more of a problem. And then you have the Skylar Johansson interview um, and questions that were basically borderline um, sexual harassment. And uh, you had all of this bad PR come out this week. And this has been brewing for months now, but really everything came to light this week. And you had Tom Cruise return his three Golden Globes because he probably looked at that and thought, hmm, did I even actually deserve this? Or was it all just, you know, was it all just a PR response to try and to try and hype up the Golden Globes and to get more viewership? Um, did I actually earn this? And so there are a lot of um, celebrities and a lot of people in Hollywood, a lot of insiders that are, you know, threatening to basically just deplatform the HFPA. They want them to make significant changes. They want them to, they want them to double their voting body plus one to make it more fair and to make it more inclusive for people, and um, to really kind of crack down on some of the on some of the corruption that um, was just exposed in the HFPA. So that was pretty much the biggest breaking news story out of last week. Um, and, you know, it had been brewing, like I said, for months since back in March and we just hadn't covered it. But then, you know, when NBC comes in and they're like, well, we're not going to air the golden globes because the HFPA is corrupt and they lack diversity um, and when Tom Cruise is like, yeah, I want nothing to do with it. And all of these other people, including Mark Ruffalo and Scarlett Johansson, 
the CEO of Glad, Sarah Kate Ellis. You have um, all of these different people, including Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos and also Amazon Studios announcing that they would not work with the HFPA. Um, it makes total sense that they're going to need to do something major to win the press back, essentially, um, because that's where their uphill battle is, is the press. As long as the press isn't on their side, um, no one's really going to like the HFPA. So they really have to make substantial reforms and to restructure everything the way that it should have been probably structured all along. Now, with that down and out of the way, let's talk about Spiral's opening weekend, because $8.7 million isn't great, but when you consider limited capacity for seating in the theaters, and you consider that Spiral opened to 200 less screens than something like Saw 6 did, um, and when you consider all of the different you know impacts that may have led to this disappointing box office, and I say disappointing box office because... That's how it's being framed in the press. It's it's being framed as a very disappointing box office because comparatively to the Saw franchise, this is the weakest showing, but it's almost to be expected. You know, you don't have Tobin Bell cast at all. This is basically just a spinoff of Saw with new characters in a new direction, and it's heavily focused on, you know, the cop drama aspect of it, which Saw had always done, but this one centers around, you know, cops altogether, and it's not really not really giving Jigsaw or Tobin Bell the kind of day that um, that he got back when, you know, Saw was still killing it at the box office and making just shitloads of money. So it, it's to be expected. Those Who Wish Me Dead um, earned just a $2.8 million opening from um, 3,188 locations, but it was also released on HBO Max and in theaters. And then you also have... Um, you know, The Wrath of Man, which opened to $8.3 million last weekend, um, which, you know, Wrath of Man and Nobody, which opened back in February, are kind of comparable in the sense that they're a little bit more gritty. I mean, Nobody certainly has like a John Wick vibe, but Wrath of Man, you know, Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham, action, um, it opening to $8.3 million, uh, was kind of a good sign because Nobody starring Bob Odenkirk back in February opened to 6.8 million. So saw opening to 8.7 million means that we're on a steady, you know, incline for the box office. Um, I don't want to misconstrue that at all. It, it It's a good sign that things are, you know, each week we're getting more and more people going out and, you know, with the CDC's new guidelines, basically stating that if you're fully vaxxed, you don't have to wear your mask indoors in a movie theater, you know, in certain situations, I think it's helping. And I think more and more people are getting vaxxed and, you know, wanting to go out and start living again. And um, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing to see kind of the boom that happens after this. And I work in the theater industry. And so for me, watching it, you know, firsthand is going to be really exciting. Um, I haven't seen Spiral yet, by the way. But I do know that I'm probably going to either see it today or tomorrow, so I'll let you know how I feel on that. Also, what released in theaters um, and what was kind of surprising to me was Army of the Dead. It released in 400 theaters 
430 theaters to be exact, one week before its Netflix debut. And it earned, according to industry estimates, about $800,000 at the box office. It really didn't do too strong. We were one of the 430 theaters that it opened with. And it didn't do too strong um, as far as the pre-sale numbers go and as far as the physical sales. Like I was I was monitoring that all weekend because I was kind of curious to know what it would do. And it didn't do too much, but we have to remember that it opens on Netflix this week on the 21st. So if you haven't seen Army of the Dead and it's not playing anywhere near you, you, you can still have a chance to see it on the 21st if you have a Netflix subscription. Um, lastly, uh, let's talk about a couple, um, a couple interesting things. So Knives Out 2 cast, Catherine Hahn, great, love it. Um, Catherine Hahn is amazing. We just watched, you know, WandaVision not too long ago and, um, she played Agatha and, uh, boy, is she a great actress. So I can't wait to see her in Knives Out and Dave Bautista as well being in it with Janelle Monet and Edward Norton. And certainly we've got more and more casting announcements to come from that movie. So stay tuned right here on the Into the Borough podcast, and we'll let you know everything that happens with that film moving forward. But now we get to the juicy, juicy bit at the end, which we're not going to cover too much, but um, this battle between Roku and Google. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the situation, maybe you don't have Roku, maybe you're not interested in YouTube TV at all, that's fine. I had YouTube TV for a long time. I want to say I had YouTube TV for almost two years at one point before canceling it. Um, and I've had Roku TVs, you know, basically the entire time that I've lived on my own since uh, 2015. So I really love both of the services that these companies provide. And I woke up one morning a few weeks ago and Roku was like, you know, basically in the email, they were like, due to, due to Google's like unprecedented demands, like we're no longer, um, going to, you know, house Roku or YouTube TV on our Roku platform because of their anti-competitive nature, um, was the gist of the email. And basically, you know, like, we're sorry, we hate to have to do this, but Google's forcing us to remove it due to their unfair practices. And I was like, whoa, that's a giant step. And then, and then you know, <laughs> people who have YouTube TV got similar emails from Google about how Roku was being, you know, not cooperative at all and all of this. And it's just boiled and boiled and boiled. Well, Roku removed YouTube TV from its library. And you know what Google did? Google said, fine, you want to do that? We'll just house the YouTube TV um, not the app itself, but basically a, a link to the app in our YouTube, just the regular YouTube app. So now if you log on to YouTube, uh, if you have like a Roku TV or a Roku stick and you log on to YouTube, you're going to notice that at the very bottom of the screen on the left-hand side with the menu is YouTube TV. And that'll take you directly to YouTube TV um, because the YouTube app doesn't expire. Um, the contract, I should say, rather, doesn't expire with Roku until this December. So they've got plenty of time to just leave it on there and there's nothing that Roku can do. Um, so they're kind of undercutting Roku like that. But um, I just find it really interesting how many fights that Roku has got in. And, you know, I, I, me personally, I, I love Roku. Um, I'm not sure if all of this is justified. I guess it's been pretty, um, pretty under wraps as far as what exactly specific policies are that, that these businesses are talking about, like what, what anti-competitive nature 
um, does Google have? Like, give me specifics. Like, you say that they're harming consumer choice and crushing fair competition, but let me actually see where in the terms and conditions of Google's like contract um, does it say that they're trying to negotiate stealing our our user data at a at a higher level than let's say like Facebook. Like, um, I just want to see some more hard evidence as to what these companies are talking about. Um, because right now it's, it's all he said, she said. And so it's really hard to kind of determine, you know, which side you fall on. And there's a lot of gray area in it, of course, but, um, it's really interesting to see kind of how, how Roku has taken on both HBO Max and Google in such a short amount of time. And it kind of just goes to show that Roku is a power player, um, a lot of people like Roku. Uh, and you know, that's kind of an undisputed fact. And so they are really using their weight to get what they want. And, um, good for them if they are actually upholding, you know, consumer policy and consumer protections, but also if they're guising, you know, ulterior motives behind those things, I think there's a problem, but, um, We'll keep you updated here as far as what comes of this, because I imagine that we're going to get more and more news as more things come out. So stay tuned for that. But uh, I think that is all for the news this week. So um, I know it's not as interesting of a discussion when there's only one opinion hitting you, um, but hopefully you were able to gather as much out of that as possible and are now updated on all of the current events that are going on in the film and TV industry. We are going to move on to um, talking about some of the trailers that released before we get into what's new for you to watch this week, so stay tuned. I'm sure you know by now, but we have our own YouTube channel. There, we upload video reviews of the latest television shows or movies and stream gaming content weekly. We have a goal to reach 100 subscribers by the end of the year. Right now, we are about 12 subscribers away from reaching that goal and it would mean everything to the team here to be able to accomplish this goal. Simply search the Burr Reviews in YouTube search bar to find us. Make sure to not only subscribe if you like the content, but to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to make sure you receive notifications of when we upload or go live. The Burr Reviews, your movie refuge. All right, everyone. Uh, let's get into some of the trailer reactions. So I'm going to cover these really quick. Um, we're not going to spend too much time talking about them, but I feel like they are important. So starting with um, Venom 2. So Venom 2 just released, um, and rather it's Venom Let There Be Carnage, but it's Venom 2, which has a really cool poster, by the way. So if you haven't seen the poster for Venom Let There Be Carnage, go check that out first. But Venom, Let There Be Carnage, is directed by Andy Serkis, um, fantastic motion capture actor and, you know, just um, performance actor in general. And I'm really excited to see what Andy Serkis can bring to Venom. As far as the cast, it of course stars Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock in Venom. It also stars Michelle Williams, Woody Harrelson, and Naomi Harris, among others. Um... I personally still haven't seen Venom, but I heard really good things from basically everyone I know saying that, yeah, it's dumb fun, but it it was so fun. Like, it's dumb, but it was fun. So it kind of makes up for that. And they really lean into the dumb kind of slapstick humor here in the Venom Let There Be Carnage trailer. And honestly, this trailer made me want to go watch Venom. 
um, and just experience kind of what people are talking about from that film. Because this movie looks fun as hell. Woody Harrelson looks great in it. Uh, Tom Hardy looks great in it. And Stephen Graham does as well. Everyone looks like they fit in this movie so well. And it looks like they really have nailed down their tone and what they want Venom to be. So I, you know, with their confidence in this trailer, like it just makes me want to go out and experience the first one. So A plus for the trailer department here and for the poster department for the graphic design. So next up we have The Forever Purge, which just released their first trailer. And it stars Josh Lucas, um, who I know personally from Poseidon. Um, really, really bad disaster movie, but I'm okay with it. And then you also have Cassidy Freeman and Will Patton and Anna De La um, Reguera in it as well. And uh, I don't know, like this trailer, it, it's taking more of a kind of Western approach, I guess. Um, it's still rated R. It's directed by Everardo Gout, and um, it's written by James DeMonico. And um, I don't know why James DeMonico is listed here twice on the IMDb page, but James DeMonico um, has has wrote this sequel, which is supposedly the last Purge movie that we're going to get, but who knows how that'll actually go. Um, basically, this is taking place during... Not the purge, but this is taking place after the purge when all crimes have been made illegal again. And um, it's this Western take kind of people just not following the laws. You know, I guess they're going with um, the whole kind of outlaw persona for the villains here. And they're doing the right thing and they're justified in what they're doing. And and our heroes have to come in and stop them from, you know, killing a bunch of people when uh, crime is supposed to be illegal. It looks bad. The writing is not great. Um, And honestly, I don't know that I'm going to watch this movie. It comes out on my birthday, July 2nd. But I don't know if it's much of a birthday present at all. Uh, We'll see how it does box office wise. But I don't imagine that we're going to get very much from this film just by the looks of it. You know, if if it didn't have the purge branding all over it and it didn't have, you know, the announcer being like all crime is now legal or all crime is now illegal. Um, I don't think people would really know that this was a purge movie. It just kind of looks like a bad Western. Um, But hey, that's just my opinion. We'll have to ask Linda what she actually thinks about this because um, I didn't get to talk to her about the forever purge, but I really am curious to know what she thinks about it. Let me know down in the comments below or send us, you know, um, a direct message on Twitter or tweet at us about what you thought of both Venom 2 and the Forever Purges trailers, because I'm dying to know what other people think. Um, I think the majority of the, at least the majority of the conversation that I saw basically was like, yeah, Venom Let There Be Carnage looks like a really solid film, and it looks like a good follow-up to um, the OG Venom. So as far as the Forever Purge, I haven't really seen people talking about it too much, and that's probably an issue, must say. So, uh, Let me know what you think down in the comments below. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our website, theburrowreviews.com. If you like indie movies, or blockbuster movies, and anything in between, really, on our site you'll find podcasts, movie reviews, opinion articles, and more content that covers all types of cinema. But we especially love a good horror movie here at The Burrow. If you're looking for a review of your latest project, we got you covered. 
Simply search thebrewerreviews.com in your web browser and you'll find us. As a company residing in Nebraska, we know just how hard it can be to get your message out to the world, and we're here to help. Find our contact page on our website and fill out the form. You'll also find a list of submission guidelines on the page. And while not every submission will be accepted, mainly due to time restrictions, it is always worth a shot. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to the site now and check it out. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. And as always, everyone, LA Mag has provided a fantastic list of what is new to streaming for you this week that we're going to cover right here. First off is Hacks. Jean Smart is getting major praise for her turn as a fading stand-up comic who taps a younger comedy world outcast to refresh her act. Vulture's Jen Chaney says the series' two leads, quote, share a flair for dry comedy but deploy it in ways that highlight their characters' age differences. And they're joined by funny supporting players, including Caitlin Olsen and Meg Stalter. This is streaming on HBO Max, as well as Those Who Wish Me Dead. Angelina Jolie perhaps implausibly plays a traumatized firefighter in the Montana wilderness by attempting to lead a little boy to safety in this thriller. Ben Kenensberg of the New York Times praised the story's, quote, terse effectiveness. And Anne Hornaday of the Washington Post calls it, a, quote, borderline laughable genre picture. It's in theaters and on HBO Max. Finally, we have The Woman in the Window, which is a Netflix feature film. An agoraphobic woman, Amy Adams, witnesses her neighbor's murder, or does she, in this twisty psychological thriller adapted by Tracy Letts. Reviews aren't in yet, but it hits Netflix on Friday. And of course, I'm reading this on Sunday, so yes, the reviews are out. You can go check those on Rotten Tomatoes right now and see what the critics are saying. But um, that is about all you have that's new to streaming. Like I said, next week you have The Army of the Dead that releases on Netflix, and there's tons and tons of things for you to watch elsewhere. I know that Bridgerton's getting a um, a spinoff series over at Netflix, so that's interesting. And also, um, you know, you have an abundance of things that are coming out in theaters as well over the next month. Specifically here at the end of May, you have A Quiet Place 2 in Corella, um, Army of the Dead, which we already covered. But then in June, there's a whole new slew of feature films that are releasing. So I encourage you to check your calendars, clear your calendars, check the movie calendars, make sure that you can go out and see these pictures and see these features and support these artists because they need it and the box office needs it and the theaters need it and everyone needs it and you want to have a good time, right? Um, so I encourage you to do all of that. But um, with all that down and out of the way, I think that concludes this news flash episode. So like I said, these are going to be bite sized. They're not going to be too short, but they're not going to be too long either. Um, make sure to subscribe to the Into the Burrow podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. We're now listed on all the major directories, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and we're also even on Pandora. And I like to make a point of that because for those of you who have been listening for a while, Pandora for the longest time would not play the Into the Burrow podcast. I don't know why. They just wouldn't do it, but they are now. So if you listen to the Into the Burrow podcast on Pandora, um, or any other podcast on Pandora. Thank you. Um, show Pandora that you like our podcast so that they don't remove us. Um, but yes, you can also follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at the Borough Reviews, on Twitter at Borough Reviews, and then make sure to go over to our Patreon and support it there. 
Um, we give our patron um, trick or treat patrons. Uh, so that's the ten dollar tier over there. Our trick or treat patrons get um, exclusive videos. Our hereditary um, tier, which is the five dollar tier, those patrons get exclusive pulls and other things like that. Um, and also a bi-monthly podcast that me and Lorencia do called Denim Night. Uh, we don't have an episode in May, but we do have one coming up here in June. So um, I encourage you to subscribe to all of those. It really helps us. And if you want a video version of this podcast, our Trick or Treat tier over there also gets our weekly video of this podcast from me and Linda. This week, we're not doing a video because it's just me. And I've been sick with vertigo all week, so I do not look good. I haven't taken a shower in like two days. I know that's TMI, but like it is what it is, guys. Um, but they, uh, our patrons over there get that uh, exclusive video version of the podcast as well. So please just uh, share the share the podcast, share our content. We have a couple of reviews coming out this week. I always like to let people know what we're doing with that. So with all that down and out of the way, I think that covers this News Flash episode. Take care, everyone. Get vaccinated, wear your mask if you need to, and stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time. Bye.